Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. This week's episode is a continuation of my conversation with Alia Itzkowitz and Sam Gold from FD Strategies. In the last episode, we delved into the AI design sprint organized by FD Strategies for almost 20 publishers focusing on various AI use cases. In today's episode, we discuss use cases for multimodal AI, how AI agents could be leveraged for internal use cases by publishers, and delve into how Alia and Sam keep up with all the rapid advancements in the AI world world. Moving on into in, in the Gen AI space, the whole big, I think this 2023 was all about text generation tools like chat GPT, but I think the future in 2024 is going to be all about multimodal AI. And Sam, you've been doing quite a few brainstorming and thinking about use cases for publishers and how multimodal AI could really be kind of like a game changer and help us out. I want to get your thoughts on it. Where do you think are the biggest opportunities and the biggest wins for publishers when it comes to multimodal AI? Really interesting topic. And I was doing some work on this primarily triggered by the launch of GPT Vision and actually specifically triggered for me by an article that Simon Willison wrote about GPT-4V and prompt injection. And I really love the the work that he does on articles like that. And it encouraged me and a colleague of ours called Janine to do some brainstorming around opportunities for GPT-4 Vision, but specifically in our industry. And the key way that we saw that being used was not so much as a generation tool, but really to look at it as kind of an interpretation tool. So it's not about maybe how people are conceptualizing language models and text-to-text models as 
giving an input and then trying to generate lots and lots of text content, maybe an article, uh, kind of an extreme use case. But really, we wanted to look at models like GPT for vision and image to text models as interpreting the image and providing some rich information back rather than trying to necessarily create new content off the back of a of an image-based prompt. And so that was kind of the, the kind of core principle that we had when we when we looked at this use case or looked at this model rather and basically came up with uh, lots of different use cases using a kind of framework that, that we found, including things like image description, recommendations, conversion between formats, things like this. And I mean, long story short, there are lots and lots of different ways to use this model. I think maybe the more interesting point, other than some specific use cases that I can mention in a second, is possibly that I think multimodal models like this, like the fact that image to text models are, are out there, are just not really in the forefront of everyone's consciousness. I think people aren't necessarily super aware. They're still trying to get to grips with text to text models. So the fact that there are image to text, even text to image, I think maybe fewer people still know know about that. I think the fact that these exist is probably still not super well well known and understood. So there's a real opportunity there for businesses to to move quickly and to kind of get ahead of the curve and start doing interesting things, interesting things for their users, interesting things for internal efficiency and so on. So specifically with image to text kind of interpretation models, imagine, I guess a simple one would be generating captions of an image, right? You've got some images that you want to put in your article, you need to write some description of what that contains, maybe give it to a model and and see what comes back. And even as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm remembering Simon's article about how all the, the many ways that that could go wrong. And I'm not going to necessarily expand on them now, but I would highly encourage anyone to, to check that out if, if they're interested. But that would be maybe one way to, to use it. And then possibly speak to our, our previous conversation about different regions, language disparities, could potentially think about using this not just in an English sense, but maybe there's a, a picture which contains some foreign language. Maybe it's English that needs to be translated out of the image, or maybe it's a picture of a foreign language that needs to be translated into image. It could be a street sign, it could be a, a protester's placard, it could be anything. And this is one way to really help tell those stories of people that are in different languages um, using these models. And then maybe a slightly different use case, so speaking more to the kind of conversion between formats, then you have to imagine because there are some products that we're actually seeing now, drawing designs, so designs of websites, designs of software architectures in that kind of wireframe layout. So here are some blocks, here's arrows connecting different bits of functionality. Let me give that to an image to text model. And then the text which I want to come out is actually code. And so this is really speeding up the design and, and code process. Really, really interesting to see lots of products that have kind of gone semi-viral in the in the past month or so, which are doing exactly this. Yeah, like taking Figma designs, putting that into GPT-4 Vision, and it can give you a whole code for a website or whatever you want over there. And that just speeds up development. So there are some really interesting other products as well that are, that are doing this. I, th I think actually the core technical innovation that's underpinning some of them is something called an LCM, so a latent consistency model, I believe. And really, I think the thing that this is allowing to happen is this process in almost real time. So not only can you supply a visual design and ask for code, but you can do it in a, in a near real-time basis, which really does make the experience for the user of that tool much more effective because they're getting live feedback on, on what they're changing and then the code and the, um, the results that come out the other side. And so there are some really interesting products out for doing this. And they're also being used in kind of artistic ways. Lots of like movement happening in, in this area. And it's, it's like each week there's a new feature in these products. There, there was some feature I saw which was a slider to sort of 
control how much the model could take creative license. So this was more in like an art-based use case, so not just generating code. And, and now I'm actually talking about image to image, but supplying kind of a, a wireframe like design and asking it to generate a more artistic version of that. And the slider could let the user control like how much the AI could be applied. So I think some of these small tweaks on the UI and some of these interesting products popping up are really encouraging people to think creatively about the types of ways they incorporate these AI tools in, in their workflows. Also, when you're talking about all of that, I'm thinking about how are we going to be kind of differentiating ourselves in terms of like the user interface? You're talking about all of these different products that are coming around and becoming viral because of the way they are changing the way, I would say, we are interacting with AI models and the way we are able to do all of these very like interesting use cases. But for the news industry also, I feel like we've always been this like one size fits all model and AI is possibly going to give us a lot of opportunities to rethink the way users can interact with the news, the way our new IUX could shape up. How have you been thinking about that in terms of like setting it up as a, a differentiator factor for the news industry? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think the first thing to say is this is really a, a call to action for the industry to say, you have to think about this because as you say, there is this sense of maybe of one size fits all. There is this also this opportunity to innovate in this area. One could argue that readers and audiences are starting to look for this, whether that's a kind of supply driven thing or a demand driven thing is, is also another debate. But this really is a call to action to start thinking more creatively about what is that experience, end to end experience being offered to, to an audience. I believe it was someone from the New York Times who kind of coined the phrase or, or emphasize the phrase of becoming a destination. I think in one of their recent strategies, they, they use that word a lot. And this is something that some of the colleagues here at FT Strategies have been thinking about as well, is, is that how do we help publications to become not just a source, but a destination for, for a user? How do they really interact with that product, with that platform and get, get more value out of that experience? So at a high level, as you say, it is something to be thinking about. And maybe some of these AI models interesting ways to interact with the content is the way to really get into that. So I think we heard some specific examples when Alia was talking about takeaways from the design sprint, for example, there was lots of interest in personalization of, of content formats. And this can be relatively simple, like summarization, like rewording of articles into tones, which are maybe more personalized or tailored to the user. And it can maybe start to incorporate some of this real-time or user-configurable aspect that I was talking about with the multimodal products. But more, more broadly, it is a learning process and it is incorporating some of this user-centric design thinking methodology that we that we brought into our into our design sprint there are lots and lots of resources out there about how to think about ux ui and especially when it comes to ai there's also specific kind of resources in that intersection of ai ux and responsible ai so pair i think it is p-a-i-r is google's ai ux lab and they're, they're actually currently working on guidelines for news publications to think about how to use AI products in a responsible way when creating these new user experiences. So that feels like a bit of a mouthful of, of jargon to say, but I think they're doing some really interesting work over there and I'm sure they're going to come out with some, some really interesting guidelines soon. I think from a UX perspective, it's all about giving readers choices right now. So, so making sure that you're catering to a variety of needs and it might not be the case that readers are even aware that these offerings are AI enabled. And to be honest, I don't, I don't think they even care. I think that's something that sometimes we 
overestimate maybe as an industry is the desire of readers that things be human-led or human-created. I think that we're probably moving towards more of a place where people don't really know unless there's a mistake. I think somebody we, at the conference we attended last week said that, that basically people only care that it's AI when the AI doesn't work or does something wrong, which I completely uh, agree with. But I think I'm kind of of the belief that as more and more news publishers start working with AI, I feel like some of those advantages will just get competed away in the same way that now everyone has a website, everyone has an app, everyone is offering these things to their their audiences. So I think it always comes back to the same thing in our industry, which is, are you offering people content that's truly unique and differentiated or not? And that that's always at the heart of most of the problems that publications are facing, whether it's how do I monetize? How do I transform? How do I survive? It's like, like Sam was saying, become a destination. So I think it always comes back to that. And that's something that our editor-in-chief at the FT has also emphasized when she speaks about this, is that at the end of the day, it's about the quality of the scoops. It's about finding the news and finding an angle. And that's really what's going to keep people coming. And then the way that it's... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's given to you, I think, will become an expectation and more of a given. Yeah, I think we can't overemphasize this point that although we're talking a lot about kind of the UX and the format and how AI supports that, there's still this massive, overwhelming amount of value that's created by the human journalists at the end of the day. And, and this is, like Alia says, about breaking stories, about having conversations with people, being on the ground and, and understanding those emerging stories. So really can't emphasize enough that although this conversation is a lot about how AI is supporting that process, it's really those humans who are driving the, the quality journalism. Yeah. And I think it's just AI getting that quality journalism into more hands basically in front of more eyes by using it to maybe personalize, break down tone, make it easier to read for people who might not be able to understand things or giving more context behind the story, stuff like that is just getting people more interested in the news through and getting the quality journalism in front of more eyes. I also wanted to touch up on another big topic that's coming about in the industry with you guys is AI agents specifically, because that's basically where agents are being able to act out in an intelligent manner. Like They are able to take actions autonomously to achieve goals. And we're seeing a lot of that, especially in, more on the coding side, I would say, right now where you give it a prompt to create like a website and it would create all of the different folders, take 
all the, the entire structure basically and understand what are the different actions that need to be taken to reach that goal. And I think there's there's a lot of excitement over there in terms of like what could be translated, what this looks like for industries and what the applications look like. So I kind of want to get back to you, Sam, in terms of that. How do you think like AI agents are going to be helping out in this like product evolution? It's a really, really interesting and emerging field. I think I can only really kind of explore that question because no one, no one knows where this is going to go, right? You have people like Bill Gates wrote an article maybe a couple of months ago talking about how AI agents are the future of how everyone will interact with software. And coming from someone like Bill Gates, that probably carries quite a lot of weight. I think this is, is almost an evolution of what we were just talking about around everyone in terms of publishers needing to think about how they become a, a destination is actually maybe a destination of the future starts to look less like a website and more like a custom agent, for example. Who knows if that's where, if that's where this is going. And so as you say, what, what we really mean by an agent is an AI system which starts to look a bit more complex than just something which takes an input does some processing and generates an output. Instead, it's more like a high-level system which can maybe do multiple actions. So it can take different kinds of input. It can choose how to process them depending on the situation, depending on the context, and depending on its overarching goals, and then create different forms of, of outputs and also interact with some kind of environment in an ongoing basis. So it, it's kind of a mental model, I suppose, but it's a much more complex mental model than, than how we typically think about AI systems of right now. But it is a kind of piece of terminology that we're seeing more and more prevalent in the major AI frameworks and technologies. So people may have heard of Langchain as a way of working with large language models. I'm pretty sure they have a component of their of their toolkit called agents where you can connect tools to the agents and give them tasks and things like this. And also I think as well from OpenAI's Dev Day, they have their assistance API, which is effectively an agents API. I'm not sure if it's fully featured right now, but that either is or will become a way to create these agents, give them goals, give them different tasks and different tools, and then set them off. And as you say, let them go and create folders or interact with different content, process some things autonomously, and then come back to their to their user and say, here's my results. So some interesting kind of examples that I've seen recently, just to bring this to life slightly more. There's one that I saw, again, using GPT-4 Vision, so the, the image-to-text model that we were talking about earlier, where this agent is given the task of finding the prices that a competitor is using on their website. And so it goes off and it searches the web and it finds the right website and it's kind of taking screenshots of the web pages, processing them with the vision model to work out, oh, this is the part of the page that I should click because the link says X, Y, Z. And then when I'm on the next page, this is a price that I'm looking at and I can scrape that data. And usually this would be really, really hard for a company to do at scale because web pages have all different formats. It's really difficult to create some code to go and reliably scrape all of this, all of this information. But with something like an autonomous agent, I've literally seen someone create this in a YouTube video in 15 minutes where they can go and hit a button wait for five minutes and then receive all of this information. So that's just one example. That's just one use case. But I think we are going to see more and more of these kind of agent-based systems where you can give really complex tasks like go and scrape some prices or other examples would be go and build me a website or go and build me this app. And it goes and breaks down that task into different steps and then goes and uses different tools to try and work through that task. So really interesting. It's promised to be really kind of powerful tools, obviously quite complex, but I think 
like with other generative AI, it's only going to get easier, easier and easier to work with. So maybe it's too soon for, for the industry to start thinking about it, but maybe not. I mean, other people will start to think about these tools. And so it's potentially something to start putting on your research radar. And I think definitely right now, the biggest power is with coding. So if you're trying to build out prototypes, quick prototyping, that's where I feel like the power of AI agents is right now. That's where the industry can start thinking about it and exploring with it more on the dev side. Definitely. I mean, chat dev was, I think, the first major AI agents research piece that hit the, I was going to say the public interest, but I probably, probably wouldn't go that far. But yeah, this was uh, basically a framework that spun up multiple agents and had them act out different roles of a software company. So you could imagine a chat GPT playing the role of a CEO and another chat GPT playing the role of a CTO and one playing uh, the role of a coder and so on. And they're all talking to each other and they're all, well, some of them are creating code, sending it to another one for a review and so on. And this was a really interesting kind of research proof of concept to show that, yeah, it can take this complex task, as you say, coding, and then work on it kind of independently and eventually come back with some results that ideally is, is working code. This is something we're actually looking into right now in our team as we design a longer program next year is some of these more internal facing use cases that I think don't get as much airtime as, for example, newsroom use cases, but where there are potentially huge efficiencies, right? And maybe more actionable, more immediate. So definitely coding, but also maybe some of these agents that Sam is, is explaining could also be great for some of those more internal use cases within a company like more administrative functions, how do you staff projects, how do you do all of the things that a business has to do, like budgeting, some of those more internal facing tasks. So that's another area that that we're looking into right now that I think some people might be overlooking. And also, you've been talking about all of these like future topics of like multimodal AI and AI agents, and there's just so much going on in the AI world. So I want to know, how are you kind of keeping up? You are also guiding publishers at the same time and implementing AI and talking about AI strategies. So how are you all keeping up with what's happening in the AI world? <laughs> we listen to your podcast, of course. Uh, <laughs> we talk to each other a lot, but I think you might have mentioned that, that you have a similar technique, which for me, I find it good to identify people and follow people, whether that's on LinkedIn or Medium. There are definitely some thought leaders emerging that put out really interesting thought pieces. So I've gone for more of a people first approach right now, as well as, you know, if I have colleagues that attend conferences or trying to source interesting publisher case studies almost in real time, because a lot of this innovation is occurring right now and there tends to be sort of a six month or one year lag sometimes before a case study gets written up by a by an official trade body. So just trying to talk to people as much as possible, hear what they're doing and follow some good good thinkers. I think for me, it's about, same as Alia, definitely some, some key people that I follow and I, I kind of begin to understand what they will write about and therefore what I'm kind of looking for from them. So there's some people on LinkedIn who put out really good frameworks, which as a consultant are really useful and interesting when I start thinking about how to break down problems and give give advice. But there's also more technical people. I mentioned Simon earlier and his blog is, is really great for getting into kind of the, the details of the code and, and the models. I think additional techniques that I use for, for staying up to date, one is about 
not just looking for people and, and understanding kind of what they put out, but also applying that to different sources. So I know, for example, that places with user-generated content like Reddit and GitHub are really good for practical coding and tutorials and, and ways of actually working with these tools, whereas something like Medium or, or sometimes LinkedIn is better for kind of thought pieces and these consulting style frameworks. But I think when you are navigating these sources, and, and this is something that really only comes comes with the benefit of time and, and experience to do this, but to try and cultivate and train like a fluff detector. So let's be honest, there's a lot of promotional fluff on these sources like LinkedIn and, and the rest. And for someone who is not super well versed in the field and as we as we spoke about it moves very very quickly it, it, it can be very difficult to know like is this a valuable article is this a valuable set of the top 10 tools that i need to know or is this just really an, an advert and i think as i say it only comes with the benefit of, of kind of practicing or, or knowing what to look for but being able to separate and being confident to say that some of this is just is just fluff. This is not useful. These are just adverts versus actually this is a really good roundup of the news of the week or the news of the month. These are the top 10 things I need to know. It's something that's quite important to be able to do. And one of the ways that I also make sure I get high quality content is just to try and lean into kind of the recommendation algorithms, to be honest. So I use Twitter when I'm writing blog posts and articles and, and we publish a lot on the FT Strategies Insights page and our um, and our newsletter, same self promotion there. But when I'm creating those those pieces of content, I'm using something like Twitter because actually the feed algorithm is seems to be quite sensitive. So if I know I want to learn more about, for example, AI safety and regulation, if I just click a few tweets and then refresh the feed, I know I'm probably going to get a load more of that information. And that can be a really interesting tactic that I personally find quite helpful. I, I do the same on not the archive paper repository site directly, but on a, like a wrapper for that, which lets you save papers and, and create your own kind of curation feeds. So anyway, different sources. I think maybe the key point I'm making is that you should work out kind of what you're looking to get. Are you looking for practical code snippets and tutorials? Are you looking for thought leadership? Like what, what would be most useful? And then to try and pick the sources and the people and curate your feeds to really support that so that you can separate out the signal from the noise. I agree with you about Twitter, especially. I think it's still a source where I get a lot of my AI information from because a lot of people are experimenting with it and posting how those experiments are going. And so it's still a great place to get AI information, at least. <laughs> and kind of like wrapping up, really, I'm very excited to know how are you guys using AI in your life? Sam, you've been experimenting with all of these AI agents and GPT Vision, writing all about it. How are you using it in your own personal life? Yeah, so I have a few ways that I, I use it. I, I sometimes tell people when we do these these workshops or when we talk to, to publishers and things, actually the, the way that I find for example, ChatGPT, most helpful, it is in writing code. I think there's something about the structured nature of code that actually it's just much more effective at doing that than at something like writing blog articles. And I have tried to use it to help me write blogs and things quicker. And to be honest, I just don't find LLMs that useful for, for blog writing. I, I find that actually the value from that is 
by the time I've thought through my prompt and thought through my clear instructions, I've actually already worked out what I'm trying to say in the blog without really needing the output. So I don't find it that useful for, for writing. But for code, yeah, I do find things like ChatGPT the most useful. I actually have another slightly strange, I guess, way that I use AI, which is I built it more as a proof of concept, like experiment for myself. But I have essentially kind of a list of just like good good principles to remind yourself of, you know, like things to be grateful for or other positive messages like that. And each morning, one of them gets picked at random, sent to a large language model, and then sent to me as a text in the morning. I don't necessarily read it every morning. As I say, it was more of a proof of concept just to get this working when, when the LLMs first came out. Um, but that is... You developed that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Wait, what text did you get today? Now you have to share it. While you're answering, I'll, I'll try and find the text and, and see see if I can say. It's almost like a fortune cookie every day. Wow, that's actually so cool. <laughs> I might have to steal that. And actually, just um, that's a really good segue because I was going to say that the way I use AI is probably very frivolous. Like I tend to use it for fun things that are probably not necessary, but that give me a lot of joy. Like I love using ChatGPT for composing poems for my friends, birthdays, colleagues, send-offs, all this kinds of thing. To Sam's point, I usually find that I have to modify it quite a bit because as we've seen in some journalistic cases recently, there are a lot of adjectives that I think are becoming like a chat GPT trope where you're like, okay, this was definitely written by chat GPT because nobody would use this enthusiastic adjective this many times. So you sometimes have to sort of tone it down, modify it. But I love using it for, for those kind of fun use cases. My colleague and I recently, we created this kind of cute little AI Santa for an internal Christmas email using Dali. So just playing around probably is, is what I would say. I think historically I've used AI a bit more for, for news gathering. So before I worked at FT Strategies, I worked for a company called Dataminer. And part of the privilege of working there was I had the app. And that was amazing because it gave me an information advantage. So I used to have some lists that would filter very hyper-local news for me. And then it would tell me there's been a collision on X street, avoid this, or there's a helicopter circling over your borough and just useful information that I actually really miss. So if anyone's listening from my old team, I would love a trial account. <laughs> That's a reminder, right? <laughs> Yeah. So the main purpose of having an account was to help my clients, but I also used to use it for myself, for my own information needs. But yeah, I would say with generative AI, I use it a lot just to have a bit of fun. <laughs> Sam, you found that safe message? So the text I got from, from GPT <laughs> this morning was, good morning. Today, let's dive into the analogy of a garden to explore the principle of meditation and its connection to your values. Imagine your mind as a garden filled with different types of plants. Meditation is like tending this garden where you take the time to nurture and cultivate those plants. Interesting. And so this is just from a database of multiple different messages that comes out and gets it. Exactly. There's probably a line in there which says something like meditation is good for you or, or something like that. And it's taken that and said, okay, I'm going to write a good morning message, which incorporates meditation and is tailored to, to what Sam is, is doing in life and things like that. I love that. <laughs> That's fun. I love your use cases. Both of you really, really kind of like fun use cases. You have all of these experimentation that you go and do with your consulting and 
working with publishers, but in your own personal lives, you're just using it for just having fun with it, frivolous use cases, getting you to think more about, I think, more introspective as well, Sam, with all of these morning messages that you get. But this has been really fun. Thanks for sharing those use cases. And I've really enjoyed kind of learning this whole journey of like how you guys have been helping publishers look at AI and implement it into their workflows, what the future of especially generative AI looks like and what could look like for publishers. And Sam and Alia, thank you so much for joining me on Newsroom Robots. This has been really fun. Oh, it's been great. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Nikita. Thank you so much. That was Alia Itzkowitz and Sam Gold from FT Strategies. Stay updated with the Newsroom Robots podcast and sign up for our newsletter at newsroomrobots.com. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots.